All right. Let me share an excerpt from Proof of the Afterlife. The dead don't die. My little son spoke to me and afterwards materialized within five inches of my face. My little boy asked for his mummy and spoke about a bottle. Don't you remember? You put it in my hand when I was in my coffin. There's a lot more where that came from. My conversation with paranormal researcher Steph Young is next on Coast to Coast AM. Steph Young is an independent researcher addicted to researching all paranormal, supernatural, esoteric, and enigmatic mysteries. With a BA in business, she taught English at language colleges. Each book she writes seems to lead her to further question and search for answers as the mysteries inevitably deepen and develop into even more complex riddles in the spectrum of the unknown. Previously, Steph authored Predators in the Woods, Mysterious Things in the Woods, Something in the Woods is Taking People, Taken in the Woods. Are you noticing a pattern here, folks? (laughs) There's something in the woods, and it's not pleasant. (laughs) Panic in the Woods, Stalked in the Woods, and, uh, well, now Steph Young is out of the woods. Thank God. Her latest is Proof of the Afterlife, The Dead Don't Die, True Tales of the Afterlife. Steph Young, welcome back to Coast to Coast. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm great, thank you. Uh, so let me begin by um, just cribbing here a little bit from the introduction, because you write, I've heard and seen dead people, been operated on by a spirit doctor, and I've been poked, prodded, and tickled by spirit children. Yeah. And then you go on to say, of course, unless it's personally seen, felt, and experienced, this is all understandably very hard to believe. And I'm as skeptical as the next person, perhaps even more so. So some of the the, the stories and the cases we're going to discuss tonight will seem almost, you know, perhaps impossible for some people to believe, certainly fantastical. What do you say to skeptics or what did you say to yourself as you you delved into this arena? Yeah, constantly, constantly questioning myself. Um, it is impossible to believe. Um, and that's the reason, actually, that I joined a development circle to try and get some personal experiences myself. And you're constantly questioning yourself. And, and when something happens, afterwards you're saying, no, no that was impossible. No, it was, it, was, it was just a trick. And when I was researching the book, it took me so long to do it because I was constantly rejecting cases that I thought, well, there's a possibility that could have been a bit fraudulent because, of course, particularly in the historical times, there was a lot of trickery. So, and and also, unless you've actually experienced it, when you say it to people, it just sounds ludicrous. I mean, uh, when I went to have what's called a spirit operation, you know, I didn't tell anyone where I was going. How can you explain that? You, you just sound stupid. But some of the experiences I've had, I, I simply cannot dismiss now. I mean, I was talking to a, a medium just last night that I've got to know, and he has had some remarkable cases of spiritual healing that he's done. And he said to me, you know, I'm, I still constantly question it, constantly and reject it and think this can't be happening. So uh, you mentioned, uh, and we'll get back uh, around to... You, uh, the spirit doctor that operated on you, which is chapter one of yeah. the book. But be- before we get to that, let me just 
uh, maybe get you to define some terms. What exactly is a development circle? Okay, so a development circle is it's like a class. So every Tuesday night, I go to a husband and wife who are both they've been mediums for many many years, and we sit in a private group in a circle, and we meditate and we try and get spirit contact, or we work in pairs, and we're given tasks to try and get messages from the dead. And that's what a development circle is. So you're developing the ability to become a medium. Um, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be able to do it. But it's amazing what can happen. It's not easy. (laughs) It's very, very difficult. And you get spirit messages. But the thing is, sometimes you just see somebody standing in front of you. Or you see the most bizarre images which I get, I'll get into all of this for you, and you think, that's just my imagination. But then the messages turn out to be accurate. So, so that's what a development circle is, where you're practicing trying to become a medium and get communication with the dead. Right. Now, the, the spiritualist uh, church in England has a very long, long history. There was a time, uh, I don't know what the height of it was, perhaps the late 19th century, early 20th century. What is the state... Yeah of the spiritualist church in England now? Well, funnily enough, um, I go and sit in an open circle, which means anybody can go there, and it's at the Spiritual Association of Great Britain, and that was where Winston Churchill and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle used to be members. So it's wonderful to go there. The thing is that years and years ago, particularly during um, after the Great War and then Second World War came along, We didn't have the TV, we didn't have the internet, gaming, mobile phones. So that was the height of the spiritualist movement because people would sit at home and rather than get a pack of cards out to play a game, they would try table tipping or they would get a Ouija board out or they would get word of mouth and hear that their neighbours had been to a spiritualist church so they'd go along and it was really flourishing at the time. Well, where I live now, I live on the outskirts of London, there are many spiritualist churches, and I could go to one every evening, and I have done, but people don't go to them anymore as much as they did in the old days. And that's why we don't really have as many accounts of it all happening, you know? And finding a development circle, they're often private, they're closed, you know, and you can't always be allowed in. So... The movement is still happening, but it's nowhere near as flourishing as it was. I mean, for example, there was a man called Harry Edwards who was a very reluctant medium, as in fact all of the ones in my books are. None of them wanted to be mediums, but they just found out that they were. Well, he used to give public demonstrations in a place called the Royal Albert Hall in London to audiences of in their thousands. These days... It's more of a sort of entertainment, but in those days they were doing live spiritual healing. So it's, it's changed an awful lot, and it's nowhere near as big as it used to be, which is why I think it's probably maybe harder for us to believe some of the things that happen now. Um, Harry Edwards, as an example, he was a medium and a healer. So he actually had... I've spoken to many mediums who knew him, and he had what they call a Niagara of witness testimony of his messages, but also of the results of his healing. Millions of letters. So 
building out his healing sanctuary, which I've been to. It's in the heart of the countryside nearby, near me. But when I've been there, there's only me, maybe one other person. In the old days, people would be queuing out the door. Hmm. So the idea of these um, healings, the the medium um, is not possessed, but a, a, a spirit doctor. In other words, a, a doctor that has crossed over, I guess, enters into the body of the medium and and guides... Yeah. guides the medium to perform kind of a, it's not an actual surgery. He's not actually taking a, a scalpel and opening up, you know, the body. Uh, it's taking place what in, in his or her mind. It is. Um, and again, I know it sounds impossible to believe. I, I would not have believed it. And um, the spirit will come into your body. And if I could explain it, how I've actually experienced it myself now, not with a spirit doctor, but with a spirit. Um, You go into a sort of trance, so you just sort of close your eyes and almost like you're in a meditative state. You can actually feel your body changing as the spirit enters your body, and it's, I had it about a month ago myself. I was going to a workshop that was run by our development circle, and in fact, they didn't want me to go along because they said, you're not ready for it, you're only a beginner. And I thought, well, that's all right, I'll just go and watch. So I was quite happy about it, I didn't have to do any work, but actually they made me join in. So I just closed my eyes, meditate for a couple of minutes. I suddenly began to violently, violently tremble, and I could feel feel that my body was feeling like it didn't belong to me anymore. I felt like <laughs> I felt like I'd become a man. My body shape felt completely different and these words were coming out of me but they weren't mine. It was somebody else's. It wasn't a spirit doctor. It was the task we were doing. We were working in pairs. So I, my task was to try and get contact from somebody dead in the family of the partner that I was working with. She wanted me to contact her nephew, who'd actually died in a car crash. Um, so he, he came into my body, and then I'm seeing through his eyes. I was in a graveyard in Ireland where he'd, he'd been buried. I was seeing the house that he used to live in. I could see his mother. And my body was completely different. We did it another time, actually, as well. And my tutor was sitting next to me. And she, she said afterwards, your, your face changed. Your cheekbones looked a little bit different. And the texture of my face changed as well. I could feel it, feel the texture of my skin. Now, this all sounds absolutely insane. Oh, at the same time as that was happening, I got a bit distracted, actually, because the man in our development group sitting next to me had actually gone into a trance and a spirit had taken over his body. And I looked at his face. His face had completely changed, and he was crying. And this man is such an ordinary, humble, normal, working-class chap uh, he wasn't making it up. And I tell you why I know he wasn't making it up, because our tutors, because they're very experienced, they can see what we're seeing. So if a spirit comes and communicates with us, they can see that spirit. And even though we're not talking out loud, we might be asking the spirit questions. After we've finished the exercise, my tutor 
one day said to me, why did you ask that particular question to the, to the spirit? So they can see what we're doing and they know whether I mean, you couldn't fake it because they would know. Right, right. This transformation that takes place, Steph, your mm. the physicality that changes. Has anyone ever documented that with a, a, a photography or a video camera so that we could actually see, I don't know, the, yeah. maybe the, the shape well, of the brow or the chin changing on camera? Yeah, there's a few cases in the book, actually. Um, one example is a medium called Mrs. Elizabeth Bullock. She died in 1965. She came from Manchester, England. She was just a regular, ordinary housewife, but two of her children died in infancy from infectious diseases. And a friend of hers said to her, well, why don't you come along with me to a spiritualist church? Maybe you'll get some comfort. So she went along, and the medium, standing on the platform giving the messages, turned to her and she said, oh, I've got Chubby here with me. Chubby was a nickname of the little boy that died. And so Mrs. Bullock thought, well, maybe there's something in this, you know. Well, she went home, and then over the next few nights, she would wake up in the middle of the night, and she'd feel like her face didn't belong to her anymore. And she she felt like her teeth had moved, even. So she thought, I'm going to join the development circle to try and find out what's going on. So she inadvertently developed the ability for spirits to go into her body. Well, Nandor Fodor, who was quite a famous parapsychological researcher back then, and he was representing the, um, the Research Institute. Um, and so he decided to do a study on her. And he said, while they were conducting the study, he said, I saw things I put down as completely impossible. I saw a moustache appear on her face. I saw a bear appear on her face, and he described the process as, he said, it was like I saw a shaft of shimmering light appear on her face and form into this drooping moustache. And he said the lower part of her face became this amorphous mass, and there was an ebb and flow over her face, and new features were forming in the place of where her features had been. He could see a Japanese girl, a Chinese man, a bear, he could see a soldier with a wound in his forehead, he saw the Prime Minister William Gladstone, and the playwright George Bernard Shaw, who wrote My Fair Lady. So he catalog- they were cataloguing all of this, and he got a uh, Mr. W.T. Belcher, who was from a colour photography lab, to come and take some photos. And Belcher described it as, um, he said, her face appeared to be plastic, as if it were dough being kneaded by invisible hands, and there was a rippling of the facial muscles under the skin, just like one sees under the skin of a tiger or a cat when they're about to pounce on prey. My word. And it, yeah, and a Reverend Erwood, he was also a witness, and he said, it, again, it was as though her face was of plastic, being moulded rapidly by a master worker in plastics. And he saw the features of a paralysed girl that he had known when the girl was alive. And he said Mrs Bullock's face and body became completely contorted and twisted out of all semblance of its normal state 
to depict the conditions of this paralysed girl. And there's another case. Uh, a researcher, Alan Kardak, back in the 1800s, documented a girl who lived in Saint-Étienne in France. She would take over the features of her brother who had died, but not only the features, so her face, her body would change, her speech would change, and when he weighed her, her weight would be double of what she normally weighed. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, do any of these photographs, are they still exist? Have you seen any of these photographs? Well, there's um, another medium called Jack Webber who died in the 19th, late 30s, I think it was. The, the healer that I've mentioned, Harry Edwards, he actually wrote a book and he had newspaper reporters come and take photographs and put the photographs in the book. So there, there are some old books that do have these photographs, and they would show Jack Webber's face changing. So th there are photographs that exist, N not hundreds and thousands, but yes, there are. Remarkable. Uh, Steph Young is with us, the author of Proof of the Afterlife. And uh, we'll take a time out here, come back, and uh, we'll talk about her uh, initial encounter with a, a spirit doctor who who performed surgery on her. She'll, uh, she'll talk about seeing this white, bony, long, tapered finger and a bony arm holding a scalpel. We'll uh, get to that conversation on the other side, right here on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. A quaint village on the border of a national park in England has become a UFO hotspot with multiple sightings and interest from NASA and locals even running tours so you can see aliens yourself. And then when you think of extraterrestrials, you probably think of Area 51. But you'd better be looking just off the A5021 in Derbyshire as the tiny village of Bonsale or Bonsall has become a hotbed of alien activity. As the uh, Manchester Evening News reports, there have been so many sightings that NASA scientists have reportedly expressed an interest in the area and contacted one woman about video footage she says she captured of an alien craft in her back garden. You can find out more about this story in the In the News section up at coasttocoastam.com. Back to more of my conversation with author, paranormal researcher, Steph Young, as we discuss proof of the afterlife right after these on Coast to Coast AM. And we are back with Steph Young, independent researcher, author, podcast host, uh, perhaps best known for her In the Woods series of books. And her latest is Proof of the Afterlife, The Dead Don't Die, True Tales of the Afterlife. So chapter one, you're, uh, you're in uh, the Surrey countryside, and you have some, um, some type of an, uh, an illness. Uh, yeah. You go to see one of these um, or it's, I guess it's a couple, uh, the, the, they're mediums, and you're hoping that a spirit doctor can cure you. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, very, very seriously ill about a year and a half ago, and I actually started writing this book beforehand, and I thought, well, okay, I, I'll go and give it a try, because also, you know, if it doesn't work, it's good for my research. Um 
prior to going to see the couple in the countryside, I had been to lots of other healers, and, you know, I'd never felt anything, never seen anything, and I thought, well, okay, I don't know if anything's really been happening. Anyway, so I found this elderly couple, and they lived in the heart of the forest, really. So I went there one day, and I'm driving, and I I arrive a little bit early, and I'm park, I parked on their driveway, and I'm thinking, well... Nobody knows I'm here. It was in you know, middle of nowhere. I'm thinking, what, what if they're not trustworthy people? What if I don't come back? Anyway, while I'm sitting there in the car, the front door opens and this lady comes towards me and welcomes me in. And it's a really old house and it's got lots of ancient books and artifacts. And they show me into the lounge. And we get talking. And I explain, you know, I'm doing a bit of research. And funnily enough, we start talking about the amount of fake mediums or trickery that's involved or used to go on. So that put me at ease a little bit because I, I thought, well, they're not completely sold on everything. So I'd hop onto the treatment bed, which is just like a, a massage table. There's lights on. They're just playing a bit of soft music. And they're just standing either side of me, really, and just sort of their hands are just sort of just lightly touching me. And I think, well, I'll just close my eyes. And as I'm lying there, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I feel so stupid. Um, I'm thinking about which route to take home and what should I do when I get home. I've got so much work. Anyway, after about 20 minutes, I suddenly felt this really, really sharp pain. And I obviously opened my eyes because I'm thinking, are they, are they literally operating? Have they got a knife or something? And uh, their hands were nowhere near the part of my body where I could feel this sensation. And it felt like a scalpel or it felt like fingernails. But something very, very deep inside me was grabbing and gripping and doing something. So I closed my eyes again and I thought, this is, this is insane. But when I'd opened my eyes the first time, I saw where the pain was. I saw... What I can only describe as like looking at an x-ray and I could see this white bone, like a long bone of an arm, and I could see ha a hand, the bony fingers. And I closed my eyes again. I thought, I'm just imagining this. This is insane. And I opened my eyes again and there it was. And I'd been to lots of other healers before. I'd never seen anything or felt anything. So I'd gone there with absolutely no expectations at all. And I, I felt so stupid being there. But the, the pain inside, I mean, it wasn't excruciating. It was just a bit uncomfortable. But there's no way that I imagined that. So, and I am skeptic because I've dismissed so many accounts. And that's why it's taken me years to write this book, because I haven't quite believed many of them. And I, I have found a lot of fake healers, but I, I just didn't imagine that. There's just no way, because you can't imagine the physical sensations. So I got to know this couple as well. Um, they're very, very good friends now. I've known them over the last year. I go and have dinner with them every week. And the husband, they're in their sort of late 80s now, and I... I Ask the husband, how on earth did this start for you? Because he used to be an executive in the legal profession. He's the most down-to-earth person, and they're both very scathing of anything that's not genuine, and they're very, very down-to-earth. 
And he did not want to be doing this kind of work. It was the last thing he wanted to do. But one day, he was at work in his legal office. And he said, there was this client, a lady client, and she kept phoning me all the time, and she was always rude. And he said, one day, I just had enough, and I snapped back at her. She replied, ah, I see you're one of us. And he thought, what on earth is she talking about? So anyway, she invited him to go to a suburban house that night to experience what she was talking about. It turned out to be a spiritual development circle. So he sat there for a couple of, couple of sessions, and then he was given a message by the medium to go to a community centre in South London where they held um, a public. Local people from the community could go there to receive healings. So he met the healer, and the healer said, don't do anything, just stand and watch. So, so he's standing watching. After the first patients left, the healer turned to him and said, well, don't just stand there, get involved, help me. And then by the end of the day, the healer said, uh, I've decided I'm going to retire. I'm moving to the West Country. You can take over. And Alex thinking, oh, I don't <laughs> even like know that. how to do this. Because all he did when he was told to take over was he literally would just put his hand on somebody's back as they're sitting there thinking, I've no idea what I'm doing. Well, he took over, but he didn't he had no idea what to do. And then one day, this man comes in, and he's limping really badly. And he sits down, and Alex thinks, well, I suppose I'll just put my hand on his back, as I usually do. All of a sudden, he hears this voice in his head, and the voice is saying to him, pick up the scalpel and cut him open. And Alex thinking, oh, well, I can't see a scalpel, and I don't know who this voice is, so he ignores it, but the voice gets more and more insistent. So I'm cut him open, cut his leg open, pick the scalpel up. Clairvoyantly, this scalpel appears. So Alex, in the end, gets hold of it and just starts going through all the motions as if he's cutting the man's leg open to operate on him. The man, meanwhile, is sitting there, none the wiser. So Alec does all of this. He's even told to stitch the man back up afterwards. The man gets up from the chair. He's not limping anymore. Well, he comes. The man comes back the following week. And he says to Alec, well, my wife was a little bit surprised when I came home. He said, I jumped over the garden wall instead of opening the gate and going in. Mm -hmm. So he was completely better. And, I mean, in fact, because I was very seriously ill, I was, I was going to a hospital a lot, a lot of times, and it's quite a famous hospital in England, and a lot of patients from that hospital over the years used to go and visit this couple. Um, and they've told me of some remarkable things that have happened, and yet they are so down to earth, they're so sceptical of everything, and he was a most reluctant healer, uh, as, as most of them are. Um, were, were you I mean, cured of your... Were you cured of your illness as a result, do you think, of this spirit, uh, psychic well, surgery? I did have some remarkable test results afterwards. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I, I have to say, I, I went to so many healers, and I was using several at the same time, so it's very difficult, <laughs> it's very difficult to say which one. But, I, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I, did, uh, I, did, I did improve a lot afterwards. Yes, I did. Um, and when you saw this uh, this bony arm mm. and hand and fingers, mm. you described it as an X-ray coming yeah. down. Was it? Did you see? Was it holding a scalpel? No, I didn't see any. No, all I could see were bony fingers. I, and there was nothing attached to the arm either. <laughs> 
No. So was it coming out of was it coming out of the medium, Alec? I believe you no. called him. No, it wasn't. No, no, he wasn't standing near it. No, mm. no, I can't explain it. And you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody would just think that's that's just your hallucination. It, you know, and and I am as skeptical as everybody else. Um, and these experiences, um, until you've until you've had one, it, I don't expect people to believe me. Um, you know, but. I mean, I've got so many cases of healers in the book. There was, um, there's a there's a very good story of of how a so-called spirit doctor has worked with a series of mediums. Um, there was a, a healer called uh, Jesse Thomas who lived in Brighton, and this was in the 1950s. Well, when he was a child of six years old, he was asleep in bed one night and. His father came into his room, and he said to him, tell your mum I'm dead. And he appeared three nights in a row. So eventually, Jesse went to his mum, and he said, mum, dad's dead. And his mum, of course, chided him, because his father was away in the war, and he was a ship's engineer. Well, it turned out, eventually, that, yes, his, his father was dead. He'd been killed. Well, he reluctantly went on and joined a development circle, and then... He was after after he he went off to fight in the war as well. And when he came back, he became a mechanic, and he set up just a basic spare room above the garage to treat patients in. And one day, this spirit doctor, who called himself Doctor Robert Koch, appeared to him and said, "I'll be working with you." So he started going through just like. My friend Alec started going through these, emo- these motions of doing spirit healing through the doctor. And he had so many accounts of people being cured, really. Um, but weirdly, there was another man called Tom Pilgrim, who also lived in Brighton. Now, he had never heard of Jesse. And one day, he was going to work, and he was walking in a different part of town that he didn't know for his job. And he stuck. Suddenly, he heard a voice calling his name, and he looked in the street, he couldn't see anyone, and he heard it again, so he looked up in the houses, looked at all the windows, nobody there, but what he did see was a huge, giant cross in the sky, gold, bright gold. So he was really perturbed by this, so he went to his local church, and he asked the vicar, what does it mean? And the vicar said, well, I don't know. So... He found himself going to a spiritualist church in the end. Well, they didn't really know either, but he developed a serious ulcer in his stomach. And word of mouth in Brighton, he had come to hear about Jesse Thomas. Well, he went to see Jesse Thomas, but prior to this, before he did, he was in bed one night and he suddenly woke up, and there's a man standing at the foot of the bed. And he said, I'm Dr. Robert. I'll be working with you when the time is right. And he had no idea what that meant. But So he, because of this ulcer, he thought, well, I'm going to go and see Jesse and see if he can, he can heal me. So during the treatment, and Jesse is going through the motions, doing this operation, Tom Pilgrim, again, sees this figure of this man. So he says to Jesse, who's this man standing there? And Jesse says, oh, that's Dr. Robert. So when Jesse Thomas died, 
Tom Pilgrim inherited Dr. Robert and started working with him, but he never knew how to spell his surname. He couldn't quite understand it. So that's why he never, he just always used to call him Dr. Robert, not Kosh. Well, 10 years after that, a journalist came to interview Tom Pilgrim. And Pilgrim was describing this spirit doctor that would appear. And the journalist said, well, why, why don't you use his surname? What, what is it? And he said, well, I don't really know how to spell it. Then, suddenly, the spirit doctor appears in the room. And the spirit doctor says, ask me anything and I'll tell you. So Tom Pilgrim is having this conversation clairvoyantly and the doctor says, I was born in Clouswell or Clouswell. So again, he couldn't quite get the pronunciation and he gave all his details. He said, I was a famous doctor. In fact, I won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering the causes of um, cholera. Oh, three infectious diseases. So he got the Nobel Prize. He described where he died, everything about his life. So the journalist said, well, I think I'll go away and do some research. And she looked up in all the encyclopedias. This was before the Internet. And she discovered that all of the details that he'd given matched this Dr. Koch of Germany. Remarkable. So yeah. But then it gets even stranger because there's a man called Reverend Stephen Upton. And he came to see me in the summer. He lives in the northern part of England. And he's been a medium for a long time and a trance healer. And he used to be a tutor at the Arthur Finlay College, which is like a school like Harry Potter, where people go to learn mediumship. So one day, he's giving a demonstration of trance healing to an audience of students. And one of the people in the audience is drawing a sketch as she sits and watches him. And, she's, and she ends up drawing a, a, face, a face of a man. At the same time, there's an, also one of the other students is a nurse. And she sees this figure standing behind Stephen on stage. And the, the, the person drawing the sketch had also been seeing this figure standing behind Stephen. But Stephen is none the wiser. So at the end of the demonstration, separately... The student with the picture goes up to him and says, look, I've drawn this sketch. This man was standing behind you. And separately, the nurse goes off to a medical library because she thinks, I've seen that face before. Well, eventually she finds the face of Dr. Robert Koch. And so she goes and tells ah, Stephen. Ah. But then... Okay, uh, uh, um, I'm just going to just jump in here for a moment, Steph, because we're going to head on to the top of the hour. We're going to take a time out, come back, and we'll get back into this amazing conversation. Steph Young is the author of Proof of the Afterlife. Back with more on Coast to Coast AM. Stay with us.